I was kind of thinking a little bit when I watched this video a little bit about the complexity that instructions can be. But I was thinking for the believer and the Christians, once, once we've become believers and Christ followers and, and we want to do what he wants to do, in many ways our life becomes pretty straightforward and simple. And this morning's message I've kind of labeled Go Tell Serve um, because I look at that as, as our mission. Um, it's pretty straightforward. The, the very first thing, and in, in, again, I'm just going to set a little foundation here for us. We know the scriptures really well, so I don't want to spend much time here. But in Mark 16, um, he said, Jesus said this, go into all the world. Pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Go into all the world. And when we go into all the world, the rest of that scripture says, do what? Preach the good news. Declare that God is king. It's pretty straightforward stuff. And so I say, go tell. We kind of understand that and, and are pretty good with that. But the last part of that, I believe, is where I want to focus a little bit this morning, is this idea of serving. And in Mark 10.45, it says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Isn't that a great scripture? Isn't that a great scripture? He didn't come. He came to serve. And obviously today's message as we work through it a little bit is going to obviously reflect back onto us that if we are Christ's followers, we do what Christ did. And we are called to be servants. We are called to be servants. Say to somebody next to you, my mission is to go tell and serve. Say that. It, when it comes out of your mouth, it feels better. To go tell and serve. It's not like the golf swing, right? It's not the golf swing video. Go tell and serve. Now, a couple things I want to explore this morning with um, everyone because I believe serving takes a bad rap. I believe serving takes a bad rap because don't you get a connotation in your head immediately? Well, I don't want to serve. Isn't that, isn't that part of your human nature a little bit. I don't really want to serve. I'd rather be in charge. Now, for all the AAA, Class A type personalities, serving really carries a bad connotation with it. They really have a hard time with it because it, that word seems to make a lower class. It's, it's servant. I'm lower. And that never sits well with our human nature. It doesn't go there. But a servant is someone who takes care of the master's needs. A servant is someone who takes care of the master's needs. Now, when I first started cogitating this in my mind and stuff, I started to think, um, why don't we like that so well? Why don't we like that so well? And I'm kind of thinking it is that we're not satisfied with our current position. Now, just by practical show of hands, how many of you would say, I'm totally satisfied right where I'm at? Oh, my. Okay. I'm getting some. How many of you would say, eh, not so good right now? I'd like a chance. Oh, my. We got some work to do this morning. We got some work to do this morning. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Better roll up my sleeves a little bit. Just. <laughs> In Romans 9, 
um, in verses 16 through 18, it says, It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For Scripture says, now catch this to Pharaoh on the negative side, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Now catch this, therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. And in Romans 9, 19 and 21, it says, One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But you, a human being, to talk back to God. But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some potter for special purposes and some for common use? Aren't these tough sayings? Doesn't it kind of ruffle your feathers a little bit? Why? Because our human nature doesn't like to be told what to do. Our acquisition of a servant's heart is a process, and it's tough. It is a very tough thing to acquire a servant's heart. Because you know what it really gets down to? I say, do we really trust God? Do we really trust God? Now, you've probably heard this a lot of times because there's a lot of things mentally that we say, I do trust God. I know that he has control of all the situations in my life. I know I am placed right now perfectly where he wants me to be placed. I'm looking for anybody to nod to say yes. I believe that. I believe that. Here's the issue. We live in an operational level. In other words, the ongoing processes of life, we're at this level. And we don't see the whole picture. And when we don't see the whole picture, we get frustrated. When we can't know the end, we get frustrated. And so when we're living at this level, it's very difficult for us to understand these kind of statements with God is, how can I be a servant? God, how can you be the potter? I don't really think you quite got me where I need to be right now. When we, uh, my whole family does a lot of building. And when we did a, uh, we built a church, it was called Mount Hope Church in um, Lansing, Michigan. Um, on the front of it, I don't know, do you guys do field stone here much? I don't know, I haven't seen too much of it, but they get all kind of rocks like this, and on the front of the church outside, they built these three columns about 30 feet high and probably 10 feet across, and they did it with field stone. So there was an old block layer, um, stonemason. He was probably 70 years old, Ken Cooper. I'll never forget, I was a little bit younger, and so my dad said, Hey, you just go work with him and whatever he needs done, you know, help him do that. So um, you knew he was a black layer because at 70, well, you know, his back was like in this position. But uh, <laughs> I went out there and um, they had brought in a whole bunch of uh, rocks, just big old rocks. And that guy could take a sledgehammer almost one-handed. He was very strong for an older guy like that. And he'd hit the rock and that rock would split right down the middle. And then he'd take that rock over and he could, 
he'd look at this area and he'd go and he'd put a, like that face of that rock right there. And then he'd take a smaller one. So he said, why don't you crack me up some rocks? So I took that sledgehammer and I beat the living daylights out of that rock. Nothing happened. Never split, never did anything. I must have worked 10 minutes. He goes, no, 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 no. You need to look at the grain of a rock. And I thought, okay. So he looks at it and goes, and he'd put it down and go, hit it right there. So I'd hit it. That rock would just split like that. He'd take that rock and place it perfectly right in a place. The color combinations, it was outstanding. And, you know, we're working right down there close. I can't see anything that's going on. At the end of the day, you'd look and you'd be up maybe 10 feet high and you'd look back and go, wow, that, that looks really good. That looks pretty nice. When I'm breaking the rocks, I'm very frustrated. Don't understand what's going on. Why am I here? What am I doing? And this guy knows what he's doing, looks at it, and he's laying each piece into place, piece by piece. I was talking to Jim Wood yesterday. He's a uh, kind of a custom tile guy, and he was showing me a job that he was doing down in Portales. I'm learning these names. <laughs> Portales. Um, and he showed me the bathroom, and he said, you know, Bob, when I laid out this kind of backsplash hoe area, I took the overall picture of what it looks like. I knew the exact length, and I took these tiles, and I cut them all to 14 fifteenths of an of a inch, you know? It just cut it to a perfect size so that at the end of each row, it'd be perfectly three inches down here and three inches down here. It looks perfectly symmetrical. So he saw the whole picture, and yet operationally, he did this little area. Each of us, in a sense, we're at an operational level. We understand kind of just a small piece of what God's ultimate plan is. And only he sees that. Only God knows the exact thing. So here we are. We're in the middle. We don't understand the big picture. And it frustrates us. It frustrates us because we want, we want the whole thing. We, we want to see it all. God's maybe working stuff in your life right now. But you don't like that or you don't want to learn it, or it's difficult for you. I had a young kid who played basketball. That kid was twice as fast as every other little kid on the court. You know that kid, right? Go like crazy, defend, but he would not shoot with his left hand. And I told him, someday that's all going to change for you, Matt. I said, you got to learn to shoot with your left hand. He'd steal the ball, shoot down that court, make the basket, you know. So I'd pull him out of the game. Oh, that made that kid mad throw himself down on that bench. You could just see him seething, you know, with anger. I go, man, I want you to shoot it with your left hand. I don't need to. I can beat these guys anytime I want to. No, no. I know in a little while, everybody else is going to get bigger. Everybody else is going to get faster. You need to learn how to shoot with your left hand. We see the big picture sometimes, even with our kids, right? We understand that. Sometimes we see a bigger picture. And so... They have to work through areas in your life. And that's what God does with us. And we feel uncomfortable when we're in those areas because we don't know all the things that are there. We think we're in charge. I, I don't know. I, I found this little poem. You may have seen this. It's called Invictus. It was a movie um, on um, uh, Mandela. But he quoted this in the thing. But here's what I think most of us are at. Out of the night that covers me, 
black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstances, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloodied but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. Catch this now. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. You know, for the believer, that's all untrue. For the Christ follower, I'm not the captain. I'm not the master. I'm the servant. I'm the servant. There's a great joy in that, you know that? There's a great joy in knowing my place, knowing where I'm at, where I come from. Um, in Romans 9, 22 through 25, um, I think God wants to make it even plainer to us. He says, what if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? Who were these objects? We were those objects. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, listen to this, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As it says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved ones who are not my loved ones. In other words, God the potter has the choice of redeeming us. Let that set in a little bit. You know, the Jews thought they had it all together. We're God's people. Yet God says, no, I'm the potter, and I select who will come. You realize you didn't choose God, right? He chose you. I know you, you think you did. <laughs> I know you think you did. You were the master. No, God was the master, and God called you. You responded. God was the master. He was in charge. And so you see this here. His plan, um, he has the ability. It's his choice um, that he lays this all out there. And Christ left glory to come, and we all have that opportunity to be part of that selection. It's awesome. It's awesome. I, I kind of, you, you hear this a lot, so I want to um, kind of put this in perspective to, so you can get a feel for what this looks like, and hopefully in a little bit here we can equate it to, to where you are. In my Bible study on Thursday nights, we've been kind of going through the Old Testament, and it just kind of is been pounding away at me, hitting me like a rock. This idea of God has placed each of us in the whole world in the position we're at right now for a specific purpose. It's an incredible thought. Six billion people, every one of us who are Christ followers, followers think about this for a minute. God has placed you right where you're at, right for this time, for this purpose that he has you there for. It is an incredible 
incredible thought. You go, man, I can't hardly conceive of that. Let me show you what this looks like in practicality. Again, this was going through the Old Testament. I just started walking through these. I just love these. Um, in the book of Esther 4.14, if you know the story of Esther, um, she was appointed queen through a whole set of circumstances. She was a Jewish um, person, and um, they were going to destroy all the Jews. And Esther happened to be in a place by coincidence, and I love the scripture verse in 4.14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And get this. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. She basically saved the whole Jew Jewish nation. She was placed in that spot, in that position, for that particular time to save the Jewish nation. I thought again about Moses. Moses was um, talking with God, and God had asked him to deliver the people. And I don't know if you remember this, but he threw down his staff, and it turned into a snake. And God said, pick it back up. He picked it back up. He said, now pull your hand out, and his hand was all covered with leprosy, said put it back in there, and when he put it back in, he pulled it back out, it was all clean again, okay? So Moses has this thing right in front of him, and then in Exodus 4, as soon as that happened, here's what Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and tongue. This is Moses. Think about what he just saw. His staff, all of that cha changed. His hand, that was withered. I love this about, about God. And the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Well, sometimes maybe I better take that back. But who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and teach you what to say. In other words, God has said this to Moses. And can I paraphrase this for you? Put on your big man's pants. Put on your big man's pants. We're Christ followers. God's on our side. We got a lot of reasons we don't go tell. There's a lot of reasons we don't serve. God says, whatever your excuse is, put on your big man's pants. I'll give you the words to say. I'll help you speak. What do you need? I am Jehovah. I am that I am. Whatever you need, I am. Be a servant. Don't give me no junk. I like it because God's pretty, pretty blunt. I like that about people. There's, there's so many others. Noah. Remember Noah? God said, I've had it with mankind. All they want to do is sin all the time, continually. That's all that's on their minds. I'm going to destroy the whole lot of you. Noah says, ah, God, come on. <laughs> and he says, I found one guy, Noah. The whole earth is going to be destroyed. You'll read that in Genesis 6. You think Noah understood the big picture? No, I don't think he did. God told him, start building. 
That's what Noah knew. Every day I'm going out with my, he didn't have any saws. I don't know what the, I don't know, I have no clue how he built that boat. But he worked away on that thing day after day after day after day. I don't think he saw the big picture. All he knew was, this is what God asked me to do. Where I'm at right now, I'm going to build the boat. He realized we're all here today because of Noah. He's the man. He's the man. I was thinking Joshua. Remember um, when they were going um, to the promised land? Moses had led them all the way, but because of their sin, they wandered for 40 years, and Noah lost his cool one time, so he couldn't enter into the promised land. But this was going to be a military conquest. Guess who the military man was? Joshua. After all this time of being second in command, serving away underneath Moses, doing the day-to-day -day activities, all that kind of stuff, why Moses went into the tent of meetings and met with God and got instructions. Joshua's out there having to deal with all the whiners and complainers. Right? That's Joshua's thing. But when the time came right and we needed a military leader, guess who's ready? Joshua. 20 years, victory after victory after victory in the promised land. Because he was the right man at the right time, prepared, no excuses, let's go do it. Let's go do it. Joshua was that kind of guy. New Testament. John the Baptist. I love this guy. This, these guys understood it, that they were here for a place. Remember, this is Jesus' cousin. The guy's just uh, radical out there, right? I mean, he never left the 50s or 60s, whenever. Don, you know, right? <laughs> I'm picking on Don. He turned 50 and he started growing a beard. I told him, that's a midlife gig right there, buddy. But he showed me I started to grow my hair back out, too. So. <laughs> so, but John the Baptist is this, is this radical guy. And he's out in the wilderness. And he just preaching away, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way of the Lord. He's baptizing people. I don't think he understands the whole picture. He, I don't think he puts it all together. These guys were doing what they were called to do at the place they were called to do it. You know when he really gets it? Here's the cool thing about him. So when Jesus comes on the scene, all these people start going over to Jesus because, right, he's rocking the town. He's really cool. And John, you know, is a hairy dude out in the wilderness. And so people are starting to leave him and go to John or to Jesus. So his disciples... John's disciples go, hey, John, man, everybody's going over to see Jesus and stuff like this. You want somebody who knows his place, the servant's heart? You know what he says? I must decrease, he must increase. Ooh, John gets it. He knows I was called for this time to do this thing in this position I was at. This is what I was called to do. And you know what? That time's now past. Jesus is the man. That's what everything pointed to. Remember Jesus? For this reason I came. What was the reason? To die for us. Now he saw the big picture. Okay, I'm giving you that one. He got the big picture. But you know, in the day-to-day -day activities of life, he was just like you and I going through those things. And yet it says, for this reason I came. For what I have to do right now. For what I have to do right now. Paul, in 1 Timothy 2.7, Paul says, And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. 
Paul knew his place. He wasn't God. Remember when they tried to make him gods and stuff? He's like, no, 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 that's not me. I'm a servant. I was, my place was to be a herald and an apostle. That's what I'm about. That's who I am. <laughs> Let me say this again. You are perfectly positioned right now where God wants you to be. If you're a Christ follower, you are perfectly positioned right now where God wants you to be. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know all the things of your life, but I can guarantee you God has you right where you need to be right now. 2 Corinthians 5.5 5. Now the one who has fashioned us, fashioned who? Us, for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. What was this purpose? We're to be his image here on earth. Remember last week, I thought it was great when Ron said, you know, when Lucifer fell from heaven and stuff like that, Lucifer was like, now who's going to worship you, God? Who you got's going to worship you now? You know, you think you're God? Throw me out. You got nobody to worship you. Right? I thought that was just, that was just awesome. Why? We're in God's image. We are the worshipers. We're going to fill that role. We're here to worship God. How do we, what's that look like? How do we get our hands on that? How does that all, all come together for us? In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of what? Service that a servant would do, but the same Lord. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and, what? and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. He distributes to each one. We're not the master. We're not the potter. We're clay. I know that's still rifling some of you. It's messing with you. You're like, ah, I've never liked to be clay. It's very clear, right? He distributes them to each one just as he determines. In other words, as is needed, as he sees fit. In 1 Corinthians, it says, Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an ear, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, how many of them? Every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. He, God, in fact, God has placed parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If there were all one part, there would, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And in 1 Corinthians, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of us. I don't know if that, what that does for you, but if you got a, a picture of God <laughs> that's like way big, it's not big enough, but if you had one that was way big, think about being a servant in that environment. Oh, to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, to the Great I Am, 
I love being a servant to something like that. I'm on the I'm the winner. It 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 is it's an awesome thing. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take this now and say that your spiritual growth, your relationship with Christ, it is necessary for you to be a servant. It is necessary for you to find out how to serve and what that looks like. And why do I say that? Because our old nature that didn't know Christ, the old nature, I want to be in charge. I'm the master of my own fate. The new nature, now Christ living in you because Christ was a servant, we're a servant. Let that sink a minute. We're a servant now because Christ is a servant and lives within us as a Christ follower, we are now servants. If that doesn't motivate you enough, um, in scriptures there's a couple judgments talked about in Revelation. One is a great white throne judgment, which is really for unbelievers. And then there's what they call a bema seat judgment, which is for believers. Now, this isn't about whether I get to stay in heaven or not. The bema seat judgment's nothing about that. You're a believer, you're going to heaven. But there is a there is a judgment coming for all believers. This judgment is to give out rewards. So you may want to say, well, Bob, what, what are these rewards based on? Faithfulness to the gift and the place God has placed you. You got a gift, and you do. Anybody who says, I have nothing, no, wrong. You have a gift. <laughs> Maybe you better tell the person next to you, because I didn't see anybody believe that at all. Just say, I have a gift. <laughs> I have a gift. The Bema Seat Judgment is all about your faithfulness, faithfulness in exercising that gift in being God's image. You follow that? Faithfulness to that. I put some scriptures up there and stuff like that, but you can look through those at time frames because I have to move a little bit. I want to get to the good part. <laughs> but I want to take this now, this idea of servanthood, and I want to put some legs on it. I want to try to make it practical for us for what it looks like because when you hear about John the Baptist or Moses and you see these kind of really outstanding guys, we have a hard time putting it in context for us. What's that mean for me? What's this look like? What's this feel like to it? So I put down a few practical tips that I want to kind of walk through with you a little bit this morning. And the first thing I want to say to you is wherever you are right now, whatever the condition is, whatever's going on in your life, if you first believe this is the exact place that I'm supposed to be, then right where you are, you need to get started in being a servant. Right where you are, you need to get started with being a servant. So let me tell you how this kind of plays out. So I'm uh, just I've been raised in the church, going to church my whole life, all this kind of stuff. My whole family's in construction, building churches, and I've been on 20 foreign trips to build orphanages and all this kind of stuff all over the place. And so all this stuff is going on, and I'm sitting on the church board. Board. Yeah. 
on the board, very bored. Okay, uh, <laughs> so I'm on the church board, and the youth group in the church has like four kids in it, and we have a full-time youth pastor, and you know, they're saying, what do we need to pay this guy for, and all this kind of stuff, and the guy had an opportunity to go to be a head pastor at a church down in Ohio, and so they said, in the board meeting, they're just sitting there, and they go, well, we just need somebody to do the youth group. I'm sitting there thinking, four kids? How hard can that be? <laughs> so I go, yeah, I'll, Wednesday night we'll take four kids, we'll go to Burger King, and it'll be great. <laughs> so I take the youth group, and I tell Twyla Kay, that's my wife, I tell her, yeah, we're the new youth leaders. <laughs> she goes, all she's done is like nursery and you know women's ministries and stuff. And I said, I don't really like kids that well anyway. So this is going to go really well. So I start meeting with these four kids, and I'm like, gosh, kids are kind of whack. They're just kind of, it's kind of fun messing around with kids. And so the more we started doing it, and they said, well, do you care if we invite some friends? I'm thinking, well, it's youth group, sure. So they invite some friends, and next thing you know, we got 20 kids in there or so, 25 kids. And I'm like, wow, this is, I kind of would like to see these kids, like, really start to grow, and you know, really, I'm starting to get excited about it, you know. And I don't know how it is, if you've ever been in a small church, but, you know, you get there, and I have to set up all the chairs, and all the sound systems, and I have to lead the music, you know, sing, and the announcements, and preach, and then take them all out, and take them home, and clean it all up, and Benji, I'm right with you, buddy. <laughs> it's painful. Uh, <laughs> next thing I know, we're at 60 kids, and then we're at 70 kids, and all of a sudden, I'm finding out I'm working 40 hours at work and 50 hours doing the youth group. I was like, and I told my wife, she goes, well, you know, you've been doing this like 10 years. I was like, it struck me, 10 years? You want to know how you become a servant? Start where you're at, sitting in a board meeting, and say something stupid like, I can handle four kids. <laughs> You'll find you're a servant. You'll find you're a servant. Don't, don't limit yourself to what you think you know and where you think you are and that God can't do anything else. I actually think God loves taking you from your comfort area and putting you in a place you're not comfortable. You know why? Because you only got one thing to rely on, God. If God doesn't pull it off, it's not going to happen. Because... I'm not smart enough to make it happen. I'm not smart enough. Start where you're at. And can I tell you this? If you don't know where else to start, start meeting with a few people someplace, somehow. Because you meet with a few people, you know what you'll find? Needs. You know when you find needs? You'll find you have a solution to some of them. Guess what you become? A servant. You become a servant. That's what servanthood's all about. It's not mystical. It's nothing crazy like that. It's practical, down-to-earth things that need to get done. It needs to happen. So 
Start where you're at. And don't be afraid of, you know, you can enter multiple ministries. I mean, some people are like, they can really get locked in on one thing. There are so many things to be done that you can branch out, and it changes. As you get older, I can tell you, the youth ministry, when I got older, we got to 70 kids, and I told my wife, I'm like, this is killing me, man. So I went to the head pastor and said what was going on. He goes, I think we need to hire a full-time youth pastor then. I go, that is a great idea. <laughs> so we hired a guy. So for you that don't know me, I was raised in the country. I'm a country boy. So what I knew to do with youth was, you know, all relationships. I mean, they came out to my house sledding and snowing. Oh, you guys don't do that here. But that's what we do in Michigan. <laughs> behind the tractor and all that kind of stuff. So we had that kind of thing. We hired a guy who was from the city. I remember the first thing he told me, he says, Bob, I don't do outdoors. I thought, whoa, this is going to go over tough. He goes, but I want you on board with me. Are you part of the team? He was that kind of guy. And I said, absolutely, let's go. Within six months of him being there, this just shows you, 120 kids. Now the youth group has 120 kids. The guy's rocking the place out. I mean, but for my, for me, at my age, it was like it was time to move on. For you that still think you relate to youth and you're 55 years old, you don't. <laughs> you just don't. Don't go there. Just, just let it go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Age, sometimes your spiritual level. You know, your spiritual level changes. The more you grow and stuff like that, the more God can entrust you to do things like teaching, like speaking up here. There's nothing magical about being up here. For you that are kind of bored with life and go, oh, Sunday morning's kind of a drag, it's bored. If I ask you to speak next week, your whole week will be focused on next Sunday morning. <laughs> I don't know, you won't be bored. <laughs> All week. You'll be focused on what has to be done. And needs around us. You know, when you're in a group and stuff like that, different needs present different opportunities for you. Sometimes it's financial to help people. Sometimes, you know, it's just being a friend to people. It, it, as needs arise, be aware of those types of things. And then I'll say, be faithful. Be faithful to what you commit to. I, I see this a lot, you know, sometimes... People will get inspired about doing something and they jump in with both feet. Then they go, oh, the minute times get a little bit hard in there. I don't like that so well. You know? Be faithful. Condition yourself. So I put down some those practical points. Start where you're at. Look for multiple, unique things, different or different, things that are different. And, and don't give up. Be faithful. Ask God to help you to do this. <laughs> I... I got a, Jim, you'll probably have to pay me for this later, but, um, or Pat probably did this. You go, well, I don't even know where to start. I got this in the mail, I don't know, probably a bunch of you did, on the mission down in Mexico that we support, and it just came at the perfect time, Pat. I don't know, it was probably a God thing. Uh, but it says, right now we're developing plans to take on girls into a shelter. 14 of them. So I was thinking, well, I wonder what they need. I started reading this. Did any of you guys get this? It says, we need to do construction. 
We need to modify the interior of the building so that we have seven bedrooms, two girls per bedroom. We need to furnish the bedrooms with good beds and their own dressers and closets. Does that sound? Anybody get touched right there? Thinking, oh, maybe I could be a servant. We need to finish our security system for the gates to the shelter, including mechanized drive-through gates and an electronically secured walk-through gate. We need to add security cameras. We need to find the proper staff. Catch that. We need to find the proper staff to run the shelter and to provide all the resources needed to help make sure these youth become well-equipped. We need to upgrade our kitchen. We need new countertops and a better cooking area where we can teach cooking. We need to upgrade our bathrooms to provide better privacy. We need to pressurize the water system. We need new storage tanks. We need to upgrade our yard, sports equipment, and our barnyard. I have no idea what that is, but maybe somebody in here said, I love barnyards. That's my thing. We need to develop a business office in the shelter. And so for all of us techie people, I thought, yeah, this is, none of this is me. Then he puts down there, we need to develop a computer Wi-Fi secured area, up-to-date modern computers with the necessary operating systems and software in Spanish and multi-purpose printers. Oh, we need to furnish a study area. I got one letter, and there's like 12 things I could be a servant in. You know where it starts? When you decide, I'm going to start now. Where I'm at, I'm going to try to do something. You guys know Jim. He was up here this morning. It's kind of like a God thing because I didn't even know I was going to do that. Jim, you, you owe me 20 bucks for that, though, baby. <laughs> so this morning I want to say, oh, you know what the great news about being a servant is, too? This is the best news. It takes all the worries out of the long term. In other words, you never have to worry about retirement. You can be a servant forever. There's no retirement. You don't have to worry about, do I have enough money? Do, no, you can, you're a servant forever. There's no retirement program in being a servant. How many of you now know you're right where God wants you to be? Come on, get it up. You'll feel better. Just acknowledge it. Let it come. Just flow it out of you. You're right where you need to be. The perfect spot. God has placed you. Isn't that awesome? Let's stand together. It's a great way to live, guys. Always on the edge. It's the best way to live. It is so awesome. It is so awesome.